Good morning. It's quite fitting, hymn number 443 that we sang this morning, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, for it is in Christ that we are hidden, that one day we may behold the glory of God. And we thank him for that. This morning we're going to continue to march through the book of Jonah. We're going to continue our way through the theme of God's heart. We're going to continue to look at the compassion of a God who loves mankind, who has a soft spot in his heart for men, for his creation. This morning's sermon is entitled, Preparing of the Heart. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. We're going to continue to look at how God is leading not just Jonah, but God is leading man to himself. How God is preparing hearts, not just the heart of a prophet, not just the heart of Phoenician sailors, but the hearts of nations. Last week we looked at God, how he hurled a great storm upon the sea. We looked at how men in their fear turn to anything and everything. They cry out, save us. To who? To a God of the sea, to a God of the sun, to a God of travel. To whatever God that they could bring to mind, they sought out many different ways, calling out, hear us, save us. But there is no answer. There is no reply. Why? Because these gods are dead gods. They're not gods at all. They're idols made in the image of men and the creation of man's mind and man's heart. And yet, they went to Jonah and said, cry out to your God for perhaps he will have concern. There's so much truth we find in that statement. Is not our God, Jehovah, concerned with our lives? Concerned with us being tossed about to and fro by the waves of the sea, by every wind of doctrine. These men found themselves chasing after truth, chasing after a hope that perhaps there was a God out there that was concerned for them. And this morning, we're going to look at how God was preparing their hearts to receive truth. To receive the truth that there is one who is compassionate. There is one who is merciful. There is one who loves mankind and stoops down to man and brings him up to himself. So this morning, we're going to continue marching our way through, looking at how God prepares the heart of these men as he prepares the heart of Jonah. We've seen much through the Old Testament and the New Testament of how God prepares man in many different ways. God prepared Moses 40 years as a prince in Egypt, 40 years as a shepherd, and then 40 years leading the children of Israel through the wilderness of Sinai. We look also at Abraham. God called him out of a very pagan nation. God called him and prepared him in many ways. We look at the sacrifice of Isaac that was to take place. That was a foreshadowing of what was to come in Christ. We look at Job. Job went through much pain, physical pain, emotional pain, stress, duress. Many, many days of turmoil. God was preparing his heart. We look at Paul, who was once called Saul. How God prepared him, even through the persecution of his church through the murder of men. And God prepared Saul to become Paul and to become a witness and a light to the Gentiles. 
We look at James, the Apostle James, who was the brother of Christ. How would it have been to grow up knowing you were the brother of the Lord or one that claimed to be God? That must have been pretty hard. It's hard enough when you have a, a, a brother or a sibling that was good all the time and mom and dad looked at them with favor. How about a perfect brother? That'd be really difficult. But God prepared James to become head in the church. What about ourselves? What's our story? How has God prepared our hearts to be in the place where we're at? What storms have we endured? How has God pulled on our heartstrings? How has God prepared our mind to accept truth? How has God prepared our hearts to receive His compassion and His mercy and His love? How has God prepared our hearts to meet a Savior who has given the very lifeblood of Himself to cover the sin of our hearts? So we're going to look at this this morning. But before we get into the book of Jonah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. For it is the day in which you have made. It is the day in which you have created for man to once again come before you and bow and worship in the holiness of who you are, in the splendor of your holiness, for we have no splendor of our own. We thank you that in Christ, the rock, we have been hid, that one day we may behold your glory. Father, we just pray that as we look into your word this morning that you would give wisdom, that you would give insight, that you would make our hearts sensitive to your stirrings. Father, that you would help us to love you more, that you would help us to worship you faithfully, holy, as you have called us to be. And Father, we just ask that you would be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to look in the book of Jonah, verses 8 through 13. Let's read those together. I hope you're all there with me already. We'll start reading in verse 8. And then they said to him, talking of Jonah, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who has made the sea and the dry land. Then these men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. We have a beautiful picture here, a beautiful picture of the wrestling in our hearts before Christ. We have a beautiful picture here of how God takes time very specific time, very specific circumstances to soften the hearts and minds of men to accept truth, to accept what we need. So we're going to start with verse 8. And this point is called the search. These men were in search of answers. They start out, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? 
What is your country? And from what people are you? These men, now that they had a direction, for the lot had been cast and fell to Jonah, that it was on Jonah's account that this storm has come. They know this. Now they search the matter a little deeper. They begin to go in a direction, not necessarily just to find blame, but to find out why. What is happening with Jonah that this great storm has come upon them? They were beginning to seek truth. They were beginning to seek answers. Why is this happening? Why are we stuck in the middle of this great storm? And what does it have to do with this man? Because obviously the lot passed, fell to Jonah. God decided that the lot would fall to him because it was Jonah's fault. We read this later on. So these men begin searching out truth. They begin probing with questions into truth. Who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? Why is this great calamity here upon us? Why are we stuck in the middle of it? And as a result of this searching, they begin to understand who Jonah is. And because of who Jonah is, they begin to understand who is the God that he serves. And this is the God that the, the captain of the sailors asks, maybe he has compassion upon us. Maybe he has concern for us. As they search out truth into Jonah and why he is to blame, they stumble across a holy God. They stumble across a God who is in charge of the sea, who commands the sea, and it obeys. God was preparing their heart to understand more truth than what they were looking for. They were looking for the surface things. Who are you? What concern of you has been brought to us? But they're going to find more. They're going to find the truth of who God is. They're going to see that Jonah serves a God who is real. A God who has command. A God who is sovereign. So they are searching with questions. And are we not to search with questions? Is that not one of the great things that God has given us? Is a mind and an intellect. We have the ability to reason. We have the ability to ask questions. We have the ability to search out our answers. Do we do this? Or do we get stuck with something we don't know, wave our hands, throw them in the air, and say, okay, let's move on and find something else? Or do we search? When we have a question in the Scriptures, do we search out somebody that may help us find the answers? When we have a question in life, do we seek counsel? When we have a question with anything, what do we do? God has given us reason and intellect. He has made us in His image. Do we take advantage of that? Do we seek God? Do we seek truth? Do we ask probing questions? Do we ask questions of our own heart? Why am I in the midst of this? Why am I here? Who am I? What defines me? What is my occupation? What is my identity? They're asking Jonah these questions. What is your identity? How do we define you? And Jonah will give them an answer. And we're going to look at that here in verse 9, entitled The Revelation. And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah now discloses his identity to these men. He's a prophet. He's a man of the Hebrews. The Hebrews were a well-known people in that time. Don't, don't think just because they were a small nation, they weren't known. God made himself revealed through the chosen people of his covenant. God was a covenant-keeping God. He kept his promises. God continues to keep his promises. But God also wrought many wonders and signs and miracles. Look at the exodus from Egypt. That was not a simple matter that was swept under the rug. People knew about it. 
The army of Pharaoh was decimated. They lost all their slave labor. They lost most of their riches because they gave it away when the people exited Egypt. God brought them 40 years through the wilderness. They encountered many other kings. Kings of the Amorites. The king of Bashan. They met many men along the way. And God proved himself faithful over the years. People knew about Israel. People knew about the God of Israel. And people knew that they were the chosen people of Jehovah. He also says that not only was he a Hebrew, but he fears the Lord God. That word is Jehovah. God who is sovereign, self-sufficient. As he revealed himself to Moses, I am who I am. There's nothing outside of him that makes him who he is. He is who he is. This is the sovereign God that was to be feared. He was the God of heaven, ruler of everything. He was also the creator of all things. Jonah stuck on, he created the sea and the dry land, making a point. They were upon the sea, they were hoping to get the dry land. But it was this God who he served that created it, was in control. He was even in control of the current situation in which they find themselves. They were tossed to and fro by giant waves. They were fearful that their ship was about to break up and go asunder. They were fearful that they were going to lose their lives on the sea. I don't know about you, but drowning is not a particular fond way I'd like to go. These men were fearful of that. And in that fear, they're searching for an answer. How do we get out of this? Jonah has answers. They sought his answers, and he gave them some, and it made them fearful. But in spite of all of Jonah's knowledge of God, who God is, his character, Jonah refused to obey, to be faithful, to worship through his actions. This God he just describes and claims is his own. It's not this the current state of the church in America. We claim Christianity. Do we live it? Do we follow it? Are we disobedient? Yes, we all stumble. We're all sinful creatures. We all fall short. But how is our life defined? Is it defined by sin? Is it defined by disobedience? The church in America is looked at as a hypocritical church. Overall, our nation is no longer called a Christian nation. Why? Because we have turned our back and we play church. We play Christian. Like Jonah, we run from what God wants us to do. But God's not done with Jonah. God's not done with any of us. And God is not done with his church in America. God said not even the gates of hell will prevail upon his church. And that is a promise he intends to keep. That is a promise he will keep to the end. One day, we will see that victory. It's already there, but we'll see it firsthand. Are we running? Are we in the midst of a storm because we're running? Are we disobedient? Are we asking the right questions? There's much wisdom, as we learned last week, there's much wisdom in the midst of a storm. God is always using his creation to teach us something. Something of himself, something about ourselves. How often do we find ourselves in a situation where we're like, wow, I didn't realize that about myself. I know I find myself in those situations. Do we look up? 
Do we look to God for wisdom? Do we look to God for our answers? And do we also search out ourselves? When a storm comes, look inward. Ask those questions. Who am I? What is my occupation? What do I do? Who do I serve? Who is my God? Am I obedient? Jonah is getting these questions asked, and he has to answer them, which will move us on into their reaction. Once they find out who Jonah is and who the God is that he serves, there is great fear. Verses 10 through 11. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What shall we do, that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Fear. That was their first reaction. Fear. This God Jonah told them about who he serves, he was the one causing the storm. They get this. You'll see that we'll see that later on. They get that fact. And it scared them. It's also the same God that caused the Red Sea to be split and to stand up like walls. It's also the same God that delivered his people out of Egypt. It's also the same God who continued to give deliverer and deliverer in the book of Judges over and over despite the wickedness of the heart of his people. It is the same God who is attempting and going to bring to fruition Jonah going to a people that hated him. The Assyrians did not care for the Jehovah of the Hebrews. But God was concerned. God had a purpose. Perhaps fear that they were being held liable for for helping Jonah. They're helping Jonah escape from the presence of the Lord indirectly. Just happened to be on their ship. Are they being held liable for that? That could be a very pertinent fear for them. Were they now being punished and held responsible because they were helping Jonah flee? Don't know. Sure would be a thought that would cross my mind though. Also, they're probing questions. Once again, trying to find out the truth. Why is this happening? These men, perhaps more than the prophet himself, recognized the seriousness of Jonah's disobedience. It was playing out physically in their life. It was affecting them physically to the point where they were fearful of their life that their ship would break up and go down. Take heed of that truth. Our lives and our disobedience will affect others around us. It's not just oh, it's no harm to anybody else. It's just me. It's, it's people around you. It's those who look up to you. It's those who rub shoulders with you. It's those who know you. It's those who hear of your testimony. Do people know that you're a Christian? I hope so. Do they watch your life? Absolutely. Why? Because they're looking for that flaw. They're looking for that point that they can grab on and say, ha ha, you sure you're a Christian? Or they're looking for that, that flaw to see, Are they human and what do they do with it? A lot of the times when we have a storm in our life, when we have an issue, people watch to see the outcome. People watch to see how do they react in the midst of this trial. I don't know how many times I've heard people's testimonies of horrible things that they've gone to and the great glory God has brought to his name because of how they handled it in the strength of Jesus Christ. And giving testimony and credence to the power and love of God. This came upon me because God wanted to reach you. How many times has that happened? I've seen it over and over. God has used a painful situation to reach out to those who are close to that person. Not saying that's always the reason, but that is one reason that God uses trials in our lives. 
build our faith, to build our trust in him, that he is able to carry us through that? Do we trust that he's able to hide us in the cleft of the rock? Are we able to hide there and know that we are in his embrace and we're not going to fall apart in his presence? Because Jesus Christ has clothed us in his righteousness and allowed us to stand in the presence of a holy God without shame, without fear, because he loves us and he's covered us in the love of his son. These men recognized the seriousness of Jonah's disobedience. They also had no way to appease God's anger at the prophet. They had no way to change their situation. And their reaction to that is, what do we do? We are unfamiliar with how Jonah's God reacts. We see that he's angry. We know that it's Jonah's fault. Jonah's running away. What do we do with that? How do we react to that? Besides fear, there had to be a logical way to deal with it. They know that in order to appease his anger, Jonah had to repent. They know that Jonah needed to make recompense for his sin of disobedience. And his God's anger terrified them. As it should. These were hard men. They were hard men of the sea. It's not an easy life. But these men knew enough to know something had to happen with Jonah in order for God to relent the storm. Again, God was preparing hearts. They were unaware of it, as was Jonah, that God was using Jonah for his purposes. That God was working in the midst of the storm. That God was preparing hearts to receive his magnificent grace and mercy. This storm wasn't a storm of chance. It was a purpose. This storm was not just about Jonah. God had a purpose for these men. God didn't leave these men out. Gentile. Gentile people. They're not God's chosen people. And yet God had concern for their hearts and their souls. These men were beginning to understand that God was in control of the seas. As we see in verse 9, Jonah said that God made the seas. They know this. So what do they do? They turn to Jonah and say, what do we do? How do we get this storm to pass? How do we save our lives in the midst of about ready to lose them? And if these men thought their ship was going to go down, I guarantee they had a pretty good idea what it took for that ship to go down. They knew their vessels. They knew the capabilities. They knew how to sail them. They knew how to weather a storm. They also knew when they were sunk. They also knew when they were in trouble. And they were in desperate trouble. So Jonah, as we're going to look at in verse 4, gives a solution. In verse 12, he says to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. It's really interesting that Jonah recognized his actions now. He put voice to them that his disobedience is causing this uncomfortable situation for these men. His disobedience is bringing about even perhaps their death on his account. How many times do we read in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Ezekiel, God says, on account of you, if you keep silent, I will hold their blood against you. Right? We have a very very high calling to make known the things of Christ. If we keep silent, we sin. God will hold to account what we do with our words, what we do with our lives. Are we making known Christ to others? Are we bringing them up and along in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? This morning we read in Psalm 78, 
Are we preparing our hearts? What did God hold against Israel? Oftentimes they did not prepare their heart. In the midst of Psalm 78, it's a beautiful psalm. It's a long psalm, but it's one I would recommend going through. It's a beautiful song of just the redemptive actions of God in the face of them testing and cursing him over and over and over. And yet it continues to say, and God chose, and this is how he chose, and this is how he acted. And he brought them back to himself, and then Israel tested God again, and Israel sinned again. And over and over we see this perpetual cycle take place. Jonah offered a solution. It was his disobedience that brought about this situation. And Jonah was continually having that thrown in his face. All these questions. Who are you? What do you do? Do you not think they pricked his heart? Who am I? What am I doing? Why are we in this situation? I'm a Hebrew. How does that define me? I'm supposed to worship Yahweh. I'm supposed to worship Jehovah. I'm supposed to be obedient to his covenant and to his word, to the law. Jonah was fleeing. Jonah was also a prophet. A mouthpiece of the mighty. A mouthpiece of God to the nation. He was keeping silent. He was seeing his stubborn heart. His heart issue of despising God's compassion for his enemies. Don't don't mistake it. That was not far from Jonah's mind. We'll see it over and over. He was also seeing that he had a calling to fulfill. And he was refusing to do that. Jonah misplaced his trust that he could find a place on the outskirts of mankind where he could hide from God. God was not only in the temple. God was not only above the mercy seat. God is everywhere. God is in our hearts. We cannot hide from him. It's interesting that Jonah gives these men the solution. Toss me into the sea. Jonah was now accepting and willing to endure his punishment. He knew he had to come before the Lord and become clean. And there was a consequence for his actions as there are our own. Perhaps he may even die when he was tossed in the sea. I'm sure that crossed his mind. I don't know about you, but getting tossed in the middle of the ocean during a storm like that would scare me to death. I can swim, but I'll tell you what, in the midst of a storm like that about to break up a ship, I don't know that I'd be a very good swimmer. But, to save the men in their ship, Jonah gave them a way out. They had to take it by faith. But, what a stark contrast to his desire to flee than to go to another people to offer the same hope and salvation. Perhaps Jonah thought his death would relieve him of his assignment to go to Assyria, to go to Nineveh. We see in chapter 4, verses 3 and verses 8, that Jonah cried out for death instead of what he's seeing. Instead of seeing the repentance of a nation, Jonah said, I need death. It is better than watching this. Perhaps he thought being tossed into the sea was an easy way out. Do we look for the easy way out? Or are we looking at what does God want? What is God's purpose? Again, God had other plans. Yes, he planned for Jonah to be thrown overboard, but we'll also see that God appointed a very specific purpose in that. He was preparing hearts. He was planning to accomplish all that God set in motion. His intentions, his goodwill, his purpose. He was not done with the prophet. He was not done with these sailors. He was not done with the Ninevites. 
He was not done with us. God has a very specific purpose. Mankind cannot thwart the path that God has set. So we look at their reaction to the solution, and that's their hesitation in verse 13. However, these men rode desperately in order to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. That had to have been pretty fearful. They're already scared to death that their ship's going to break up. They've already thrown all their cargo overboard to lighten the ship to hope it can float through the seas. These men know what to do in the face of a storm. They're baffled. Nothing they do is working. These men were not fond or anxious to take a life. Do you get that? Jonah gave him a way out. Throw me into the sea. I almost guaranteed his death. These men did not want to do that. They got a solution, but they were very hesitant to take it. They had a value on human life, innocent life. Gentile men, heathen men, still held life as sacred. God has put that in the heart of man. Man knows it's wrong to take a life. Man knows it's wrong to shed innocent blood. And yet we're quick to do it. But these men, in order to save themselves, they were desperate for any solution that is given to them. And they held back. They did not want to be held accountable for Jonah's blood. They did not want to be held accountable as they felt like they were already being held accountable. They are helping him escape, and this great storm is here. Well, what happens if we get rid of him? He's God's man. The storm is here because God is punishing this man. God is trying to wake up a prophet. If we throw him overboard, what's going to happen to us? I'll tell you, that would be a thought in my mind. What happens if we do get rid of God's prophet? <laughs> but this is also a sharp contrast to Jonah. These men had a held life valuable. Even one that was not their own, he was not from their people. He was not from their nation. He was not of their tribe, their family. And they cared because they didn't instantly just take him and throw him. That would have been a pretty strong inkling, I'm sure, for some. But they didn't do that. And yet Jonah wanted a complete city annihilated. We read that in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. He was furious with God. He said, this is the reason I fled. Because I don't want to see these people come to repentance. I don't want to see you relent from destroying a nation. These men did what Jonah should have done. They held life sacred. They held it in high esteem. Then what do they do? They do what all men do. They tried in their own effort to get out of the storm again. These men, in their hesitation, excluding Jonah, put themselves to a desperate task to row harder. Let's get back to shore. Let's go. Let's row hard. Do, give everything that you have to get out of this. We know what happened. It's not going to help. In their desperation, they gave their testimony of their unwillingness to take Jonah's life. But also they gave testimony of their willingness to continue to try in their own efforts. Do we not find ourselves in that situation? Human effort cannot thwart the path of God. What God has chosen, God will do. There's nothing we can do to change that. Period. Do we try to change our situation? Do we get angry with the situations we find ourselves in? Do we despise the path God puts us on at times? Do we try to change it? I don't want to go down that path. Let's try another. 
but God is sovereign. He was the creator and the sustainer of the storm. Not just of everything else, but of that specific storm. The storms in our life, they're not for nothing. God has a purpose. God has a plan. He had his way set, and it was going to be followed. God intended and appointed this situation. Good will come out of it, because God has marked the path. The course was set. So I'm going to ask a question. This is something that was a phrase in the Old Testament. Why do we kick against the goads? Why do we kick against God? Why do we kick against his ways? Because we get uncomfortable. Because sometimes we think we know better. Because we don't like where we're at. Maybe because we think something's better. Grass isn't always greener on the other side, and if it is, there's a reason. It's well fertilized. (laughs) I'll let that sink in for a minute. Do we despise the hardships that God uses to refine us? A refinement is not an easy process. Refinement is not an always an easy process. It hurts. It's painful. God sharpens our character every day. More and more into the image of what? His son. Was his life easy on this earth? Absolutely not. He was known as what? The man of sorrows. There's a great reason for it. He endured many trials. His death was something I can never imagine. The brutality of it. The hatred of it. But he endured it for the glory of God. Christ refines us into his image. Do we have a heart for people that are lost? Do we have a heart for those who are young in the faith? Those who are old in the faith? Do we have a heart for people to have compassion upon them? To show them the love of God? To help carry them through the storms of life? Or are we just quick to complain and kick against the goads? Are we quick to say, I like the path over there better? Do we find ourselves fighting and desperate to get out of the storm? Do we look to God for his wisdom? Do we look to God for his purpose in the midst of our storm? Do we look at what he's trying to teach us? Do we look at where are you trying to lead me? Obviously, for these men, it was not towards land at that point. Eventually, God blessed them and they got back to land. But at that point, that was not the intended course. Do we seek, God, what is your course for me? Where am I going? It was amazing that this ship was held away from land. Because that sea should have pushed them towards land. A natural current will always go towards the shore. But these men, in the desperation and in the fierceness of this storm, were stuck in the same spot. Out at sea away from shore, away from all hope, away from anything tangible that would give them hope, save the solution that God put before them. Have faith, throw Jonah over, and search your heart. God commanded the seas, and the seas obeyed. God was dealing with hearts, and God was dealing with lives. And these lives had eternal significance. These hearts had an eternal purpose. 
They had an eternal value. Do we forget that at times? All men have eternal value. All man will become an eternal being, whether in heaven or in hell. And hell is a real place. One thought that I've had and I've heard over and over again is this is the only hell a Christian will ever know and the only heaven an unbeliever will ever know. Is this as good as we want it to get for people? All the heartache and pain, the shortcomings, the stabbings of life, old age, death. That's what some people have to look forward to. That's all they have to celebrate. Are we quick to show them that through the death of Jesus Christ there is more? There is life and life abundant, life eternal. An eternal God wants to spend eternity with man. That's a hard thought to swallow at times. That God would choose his faulted, crooked, broken, and wicked creation to enjoy him forever. It's a hard thought for me to swallow at times. It's humbling. But it hurts because I know it's true. I know in my heart it's desperately wicked at times. I know I fall. I know I falter. I know I fail. And yet God continues through all of that to draw me to himself. Praise God for that. Praise God for his mercy. These men were hesitant to yield and to believe. But God was continuing to work on a desperate heart in need of preparation to bring them to himself. We'll look at that next week, Lord willing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the depths of your love as we sang this morning and as we see in your word. Father, the depths of the sea cannot contain all of the love that has been given and lavished upon man and Jesus Christ. The whole earth could not contain the writings of your love. There's no offering that we can give that would be sufficient to say thank you for what you have done in Jesus Christ. Father, as we go through the storms of our life, may we not despise them. Father, may they continue to draw us closer to you, not to the land that we so desperately cling to that we think can save us, but may we cling to Christ. May we cling to the cross, to salvation, to the hope of eternal life because of what Jesus did. Father, may you help us through these difficult times to look to you and to be faithful. May you help us to maintain a faithful and integrity-filled relationship with others around us that points them to Christ. May others look at our lives and not see a bedraggled, desperate heathen seeking to find his own path, but one that is yielded to Christ and the things of Christ. May you help us to have hearts of compassion and love for the lost. May you help us to love those well that are underneath us, our children those young, may we continue to nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. Father, may we continue to lift one another up in prayer, continue to love well. Father, may we not run and hide from the calling that you have placed on our lives, but as with Peter, may we say, we will make sure and certain our calling in Christ. Father, help us to find that place and help us to cling to it and help us to cling to Christ and to your truth. And help us not to remain silent. Help us not to be asleep in the storm. But also help us not to fear in the storm. Because you are in control. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.